10 of the draft might be a 90% outcome, this guy's going to work for you, there still exists that 10% chance that it just does not work out. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at, J- at Easton Freeze. The guy I was about to say about is JT Runke, who is here as always, producer JT. You can follow him on social media at JT underscore Runke. Uh, a little bit out of sorts today because we didn't do a countdown like we usually do because we're too lazy to, to wait. We're already a little bit behind the eight ball here. But we are here with our buddy, friend of the show, Sam Phelan from A to Z Sports. Sam, thanks for joining us today. How are you, my friend? Dude, I'm good. I'm pumped. I'm I'm ready to go. This sounds like a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I always enjoy this, so uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, so the crux of today's episode is going to be the NFL offseason for dummies. Uh, I had this idea a couple days ago, hit Sam, and was like, this sounds like it's up your alley. Let's just go through all of the things that people need to keep in mind as we embark on the NFL offseason that has just begun, the things that are our pet peeves that we see people get wrong or things that are misguided or, or, or just things that bother us. We're going to cover all of those things to hopefully make you all, and maybe we'll learn some things along the way, a little bit smarter when you're talking about the NFL offseason. So that's what we're covering today. We are going to spend just a second here at the top of the show talking about the Titans press conference from yesterday. Uh, Denard Wilson and Nick Holtz, the Titans offensive and defensive coordinators, now in the building. They spoke with uh, those of us in the media yesterday. So we'll discuss some thoughts from that, and then we'll dive into the offseason for dummies. But before we do any of those things, if you're with us live, do us a favor and head on over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. Find this live stream there. If you're watching on Twitter or Facebook, that's great, but you'll have a better experience if you go to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. And in the comment section of this live stream, like D. Good and Titan Up Tony and Derek, you can join the conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on your biggest pet peeves about the way that people talk about the offseason. We want today to be as interactive as possible. And we've already got a number of submissions from you all on Twitter. I posed this question uh, yesterday and I got a lot of thoughtful responses from you guys. So we're going to cover all of that ground today. If you're with us live, we appreciate you being here. Do us a favor, hit like, hit retweet, hit subscribe on Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page and share the link with a buddy. We would help. We would appreciate your help getting as many live eyeballs on today's show as possible. Okay, let's dive into the good stuff. Um, First of all, this press conference reaction. Sam, you and I were there. Um, we're going to spend the first two and a half ish hours of today's show breaking down the Titans press pool fighting and politics, uh, because that's obviously the crux of what we uh, heard yesterday. Um, we're not actually going to do that. Just like, I think we should be able to take turns asking questions is my take on that. <laughs> um, but, but besides the, the embarrassing moment for those of us in the, in the press pool, we heard from the Titans two coordinators. Um, my general thought is that they should have let them go in the opposite order. Um, I was more impressed by what we heard from Denard Wilson, uh, but that is also a result of the fact that Nick Holtz, as he so aptly put it, I'm just like a regular offensive coordinator. I just don't call the plays. So he's kind of put in a weird position because it's a different job title. What were your takeaways, Sam, from what we heard yesterday from those two fellows? Yeah, well, first of all, are we are we embarrassed? Are we calling this an embarrassing moment? I thought it was just kind of hilarious. I'm not embarrassed. I would have thought it was hilarious. I was involved. I think it was embarrassing for the individuals involved personally, because I think we should be able to be adults and take turns. Yeah, We don't have, we don't have to talk about it too much, but I was, I I just, uh, 
I thought that was funny. Like I'm seeing. Oh, it was funny. Like, oh, how how embarrassed. I'm like, I thought it was kind of hilarious. Like, I mean, I I enjoyed myself. <laughs> uh, I I was kind of sipping my tea in the corner. It was the just, highlight of my day. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, as far as the press conference is concerned, I do think you are correct uh, that not having them in the reverse order, potentially a mistake where you just kind of leave the press conference with a, a weird taste in your mouth of like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess this is your offensive coordinator. Uh, right. That's kind of been my feelings from the jump here regarding Nick Holtz is that he is severely underqualified to be an offensive coordinator. Uh, mm. I think the worst hire that Brian Callahan has made thus far, but at the end of the day, like, Nothing matter. matters if Brian right. Callahan is the right guy. I mean, Brian Callahan's the offensive coordinator and the head coach and in control of the quarterback more than anybody else on this coaching staff. And so my biggest takeaway offensively was as long as Will Levis develops and you have the right head coach, all of these other pieces will fall in line. Like you can right. say Nick Holtz is a great offensive coordinator hire if he makes Brian Callahan better at his job, because Brian Callahan will then make the quarterback better at his job. And that is ultimately what we are here for. Uh, I like you was impressed with Denard Wilson. Um, I appreciated the kind of energy and I think direction that I got from him with his Hmm. defense. Like I, I didn't get this, energy from Denard Wilson that he's just a vibes guy and is like, oh, we're going to go and play physical. I think he yeah. has a plan, <laughs> right? I, I think there yeah. was a clear definitive plan for the type of defense Denard Wilson wants to run, the things it he was wants thoughtful. to prioritize. Very yeah. thoughtful and intentional. Um, and then I would say as well, I'm refreshed by the idea that, and I didn't actually, actually notice this in real time. I had to go back and read the transcript. I was so caught up in his General George Patton uh, quote right. talking about trying to attack that I missed the part where he says the ball moves faster in the air than it does on the ground. So we need to play good pass defense. And mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. finally a defensive staff that doesn't talk about <laughs> stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. But also why are we not creating more turnovers right. as our right, quarterbacks right. get burnt over the top? If we can't get to the quarterback, we're screwed. Well, no, you could, you could play coverage is also an option. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did appreciate that. Uh, and I think the, the, you know, he just conducts himself in a way that gives me a lot of confidence in what he's capable of doing with this defense offensively. Meh. All right. Hopefully Brian Callahan's good. <laughs> like Denard had a couple of gems in there and I, I did find, I didn't know this until afterwards. I think the general George Patton quote is funny because he's Canadian. I didn't know this. So it's funny yeah. that he's, uh, he's, he's quoting some American icons. Uh, he had a couple of gems in there. Like, um, when he mentioned he wanted us to have or wanted the Titans to have obnoxious communication, I like that one. Mm. Um, JT, you w- do you have any idea what the perception of Brian Callahan was when he was in this role that Nick Holtz is in, brought in to to Taylor staff early on? Like, was he also just kind of like a scapegoat guy when things went poor? I- I'm saying also, I'm kind of assuming that we're going to have the awesome experience of whenever things don't go right, it's going to be Nick Holtz's fault. When things do go right, it's going to be Brian Callahan's fault. Was was that the experience in Cincinnati? See, I I think people actually question, put more of the blame on Zach Taylor because they questioned how he would call the plays sometimes. I feel like uh-huh. in, in the, um, kind of in the Cincinnati media space, it was a lot of, well, like obviously I think Brian Callahan does get some blame, but at the same time, 
you, you kind of have to look at the results on the field and that's where you see, Oh, Zach Taylor is the one calling the plays. That's where you directly see results either happen or not. So I feel like it actually was the inverse of that. And I think it's kind of like what we saw yesterday as Brian Callahan was kind of just for at least the start of his tenure there in Cincinnati was kind of just a guy like, and that's kind of how, how it felt yesterday uh, in the, in the press conference is like Nick Holtz is just a guy who is there to help him along the way and help him develop. But ultimately results come down to the guy who was calling the plays. And if it's successful, I think like we could maybe tear back the layers if there truly is when we get into the next season, kind of this, this idea that things continually are not working week after week, but Mm -hmm. uh, on a game to game basis, I think the results are going to be, does Brian Callahan call the correct plays and are they working or not? Um, And I think that is something that we'll see early on, but if it continues to be a growing issue, then maybe we'll have some questions about if Nick Holtz in what they're doing together is the problem. Well, I, yeah, sorry to jump in. No, go ahead. But I think, um, Nick Holtz is, uh, that might be the best way of describing it, is just a guy. And so right. I guess while we're doing like this, you know, podcast for dummies so that people kind of like, we dispel some narratives and we're talking about it. Sure. Let's get ahead of the narrative you mentioned, Easton, that nothing mm-hmm. that goes wrong with the Titans offense in 2024 is Nick Holtz's fault. I'm going to say that straight up. And nothing uh, that goes is, well is necessarily to his credit. Correct. Like he just, yeah. yeah. I found it interesting that a head coach and a defensive coordinator and a coaching staff overall, even the owner of the team has talked at length about, you know, let's get some difference of opinion. Let's get some different ideas in here. And yet when asked about how his ideas have differed from Brian Callahan's, Nick Holtz's response is actually, I feel like we're really like-minded. Like Mm -hmm. I I haven't offered anything unique or new at all. (laughs) I'm just here to kind of do what I'm told. And so I've had this conversation with uh, Austin Stanley of A to Z sports a Uh few times since the Nick Holtz hire happened, but what exactly is the analogy for Nick Holtz as the offensive coordinator? What is his job, right? Because you could say- What exactly is it that you do here? you, You could say he's the sous chef to the chef. But then you think about it and I say, well, a head chef does Brian Callahan's job. They create the menu. They create the the, the dishes. Mm -hmm. They draw up what everything is going to taste like, be presented like, how the evening is going to go. But on game day, the head chef has to go and delegate different responsibilities around the kitchen. And it's more on the sous chef to execute that sort of thing. So while Brian Callahan is doing his head coaching duties, Nick Holtz needs to oversee the offense. But if a sous chef messes up on game day, Mm. things go really poorly for a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think Nick Holtz can mess up in at a level that it like affects the Titans offense. So I don't know if he has sous chef power. Austin suggested to me, perhaps he's the nanny and he's watching the kids while the parents are away. And I say, but a nanny can really mess up a kid if you don't have the right one. And mm-hmm. so we, we've kind of gone on this, what is the analogy yeah. for Nick Holtz? And maybe it is what JT said, and he's just the guy. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, so, so to kind of put a bow yeah. on that, the question that you need to ask as a Titans fan or as Titans media throughout this season is not, is Nick Holtz the problem, but is the lack of input from offensive coordinator what you are giving up by having nick holtz as your offensive coordinator mm-hmm. is that a problem not that he is inherently dragging things down but when you look at maybe who is 
you know, a great quarterbacks coach or offensive mind or somebody out there that we could bring in to give us some new ideas that we don't have on our staff because we have Brian Callahan's high school buddy on the staff. Does that impact the organization enough where you mm. have to move on from him? That mm. would be the question I'm going to be keeping an eye out for. Jake says Nick Holtz is a lizard person sent here to be a scapegoat in 2024. He may very well be. Uh, the Sioux chef analogy, I think, is interesting. It's not going to be like um, in the bear where like the Sioux chef sets up the online thing and then there's 10,000 yeah. tickets. To the, like, he's not going to be able to mess up game day like that. Um, I, I agree with like that's what I was driving home yesterday from the press conference thinking most about because I was trying to think about, well, OK. Yes, it seems like in this position, he's kind of just a guy and he's not going to be able to really do anything positively or negatively for himself. And yet Brian Callahan was in the same role in Cincinnati and he got himself a head coaching job in, in a, a relatively short period of time. So what's the difference? And I was thinking about Brian Callahan and, and what his role was in Cincinnati and, and the, the thing that he differentiated himself for those of us when he was a candidate, right? We're talking about what are his qualifications, what separates him from the pack. It was, okay, he's the quarterback guy, right? Like, look at this resume of quarterbacks he's worked with. Clearly, he's he's got, uh, you know, high high regards from a lot of these guys that he's worked with, and and they're recommending him. And it sounds like he's kind of that QB guru kind of guy. And I'm, I'm wondering if Holtz is maybe going to eventually carve out for himself a, a path like that, a lane like that. But ultimately, Sam, if I had to guess today, it... Uh, I think it's like all the evidence points to, okay, these guys were buddies on the coaching staff at a very low level. Um, it, it seems like from what we heard at the press conference, we're in lockstep on a lot of things. He might just be the messenger, man. Like he may really just be the guy, uh, you know, Brian Callahan might be thinking I hired this guy because he's going to agree with me. And I trust him to communicate my message to the team when I can't, when, so that I can do other things. And so he's literally just going to be my mouthpiece to allow this organization to have two me's, which may or may not be a good thing, but that's my best guess as to how it looks at least early on. And no, I think I... real quick, right. What you're saying right there two me's, I think that's kind of the similar thing I came away with. Can Nick Holtz be a force multiplier to what Brian Callahan wants to do with this offense? Be. And I think that's kind of how the Titans are now um, set up just real quick on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it, with Jannard Wilson, can he, um, Chris Harris and Steve Jackson be a force multiplier to turn this secondary around? And I think they that's what be. I, that's what I got away from Jannard Wilson, that man, with these three guys in the room, I think they can really have a chance to turn things around. Can Nick Holtz not turn this around, but be a force multiplier to Brian Callahan's ideas and how he wants to run this offense and take it to an even next step above what Brian Callahan wants to do. And I think that's the like that is the top goal of what Nick Holtz can do. But ultimately, I think where where we might end up is like what you're saying is that he is simply just the messenger. And the end result, uh, like kind of like you said, Easton, is uh, Nick Holtz being an extra Brian Callahan is fine and dandy as long as Brian Callahan doesn't is suck. Who he needs to be, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. and, but there is a difference between who Nick Holtz is with the Titans and who Brian Callahan was with the Bengals. And I think it comes down to the resume before getting hired as the offensive mm. coordinator where, yeah, Brian Callahan established himself as the quarterback guy, but he was a quarterback guy before he was an offensive coordinator. He yep. was Matthew yep. Stafford's OC. He was an, uh, or sorry, Matthew Stafford's QB coach. 
He was a, a QB coach for Peyton Manning at one point in time. Like he popped around to Derek Carr, I think, at one point as well. Tim like, Tebow, hello. Hey, hello. Uh, <laughs> he was a guy who had worked with quarterbacks. And so him transitioning yeah. into a role with the Bengals that he connected with Joe Burrow, with Andy Dalton at one period in time, or even with Jake Browning most recently, not a huge shocker. And that is where ultimately my concern stems from with Nick Holtz, or I guess my indifference stems from with Nick Holtz is good word. You've never been a quarterback coach. You've never even been a position coach at best. Mm -hmm. He was an assistant position coach at the NFL level was a relatively unsuccessful college offensive coordinator. And so I have doubts about his ability to develop into that quarterback guy that has a specialty on the Titan staff. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think those are all good thoughts. And uh, I think it's time for us fellas to crack open the 2024 edition of uh, the NFL off season for dummies. Here's the premise again, for those of you that are just joining us and we appreciate you being here with us live on a Wednesday, we are going to go through our biggest pet peeves, misconceptions, um, things that, that you need to know heading into the NFL offseason that is it, it's a I think that the the offseason is uh, there's a lot of pitfalls. It's tricky to unless like when we're, you know, those of us that actually work in the space, it's easy for us to know these things. But for the average fan, there's a there's a lot to keep in a row um, and, and it can be kind of confusing. So we're going to try to put together the most definitive list of things you need to know to sound smart when you're talking about the 2024 offseason. And we've divvied these up uh, between us, but I wanted to start off with some honorable mentions because I did ask a number of folks on Twitter yesterday what their thoughts were on this topic and to give some examples, and they they delivered. Um, and so th these are less important, but I do think that they are funny and worth mentioning. The first one is uh, a big pet peeve of many is the who is stopping this team graphic that you're going to see 30 or 40 times over the next couple of months. JT and I actually met the guy that makes those for PFF uh, at the Combine last year. We, we didn't know like, Hey, what's your name, man? I work for PFF. What do you do? And he was like, I'm the guy that makes those graphics. Like that's me. And we're like, so you're the worst. He's like, yeah, but that's, it's the point. Like the, the, the outrage is the point. Um, so those are frustrating. Uh, also win loss record predictions on schedule release day. That's a pretty frustrating one for a lot of people because in May it's like, you don't really know a lot about these teams for two years. Now I've had a running bit where uh, I take the Titans schedule and I make I find a way to make the win loss prediction ten and seven because every fan makes like that's the go to is ten. Yeah, well, gotta get to double digit wins. Got to do it. Ten and seven's the number. You um, but be I Adam Rank who goes on NFL Network yes. every year and has the Bears at sixteen and zero or fifteen and one or something right. outrageous and everybody's right. like gets mad at him and it's like well that's kind of the point. <laughs> He's yes, like, he does yes. one where every team ends up going fifteen and one and like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just what he does. It's what he does. And so what I've done the past two years is I go through and I make the Titans go 10 and seven in mine, but I pick the perceived seven worst or excuse me. Yeah. The seven worst teams as the, the teams that beat them um, just to piss people off. And to like, I try to make it as, as incorrect as possible. And both times it, the satire has gone over the heads of very like uh, two years ago, it was on McAfee show. And then last year they put it on good morning football and they're like, look at this guy. He made the Titans 10 and seven. They're not going to be 10 and seven. And it's like, that's the, that's the whole bit guys. Um, some other ones, uh, our, our buddy Zach Lyons mentioned this one just to make fun of me clearly. Um, but I, I have to mention it because it was mentioned in the comment section, uh, that arm length doesn't matter for linemen last year. I very famously was on a crusade 
to let Peter Skaronsky have a chance to play tackle in the NFL because I thought that he could be an exception. We ultimately are never probably going to get the answer to that question, but he's given me uh, a lot of crap for that for a long time. I think we have the answer to that question. Uh, you know what? Until we see it, I don't think we. I don't think we'll ever have the answer. Honestly, well, you've yeah. seen it. You've seen it in non-Peter Skaronsky players before. I went back and looked uh, on the same subject. There has never been uh, since the 2020 yes, draft. I'm, I'm very aware. And not been I'm an offensive aware. tackle with sub 33 inch arms to stick at tackle. And in fact, the closest I could find was like a Liam Eichenberg, who played one year at left tackle and is now a center. So uh, that that was uh, the closest I could find. Yeah, see, and here's the deal. I never said that the rec the track record indicated he could do it. I just said I thought that he could be an exception. I didn't even say he'd be a good one. I said I felt based on his college production that he had earned the right to be given a chance to do it. Um arm length really is a lot like the 40 to me. Arm length is a lot like the 40. It, hard it's cut off. A, sorry? Hard just a hard cutoff thing. Yeah, I th- I think there's a yeah. it's more of a quality of like is. nobody cares if you run a four four or a four five or a four three or even a four six. All of that will play at the NFL level. Your practical speed and your shuttle time are probably more important than just than don't run anything. a four eight. But right. yeah, don't run a four eight. If you're a quarterback, yeah. don't run a five four. Like, you know, you know, try and be competitive. And that's it. Like I, you scroll through tackles and like Penny Sewell has 33 and a half inch arms or 33 and a quarter inch arms. And you're like, Oh, that worked out. Okay. He's right. not exactly Patrick Paul with his 36 and a half inch arms in this year's draft class, but it plays just don't have 32 inch arms. And yes. you know, you can maybe play tackle at the next level. Well, I think I said on this show a couple months ago that I'm officially I'm retired from for fighting that battle just because I don't one we're never going to get to see it and two clearly the coaches disagree. Um, but like Jordan Morgan is a guy this year who measured at the Senior Bowl and had surprisingly short arms and I was like oh he's a guard and some people were like well Easton you said that it doesn't matter and I just wanted to point out Jordan Morgan is not the best offensive lineman in his draft class. The, the point with Skaronsky for me was that I thought that he may be the exception because he was just clearly an elite tackle in college and Jordan Morgan was not that. Um, Okay. Next one is pro day smoke and mirrors. Do you guys remember Zach Wilson's pro day a couple years ago where he made that cross that that pass across his body? And I remember quote tweeting and saying, I want one of these. I want, I I want (laughs) one of these Zach Wilson type of guys. Where's my Zach Wilson? (laughs) Yeah, no pro day pro days are for quarterbacks are very funny because it's, it's all scripted. It's all very controlled. um, And it makes a lot of guys like Zach Wilson's look really good. Don't, so our, our advice here in the, the offseason for dummies book is don't let pro day tape change your opinion really at all on quarterbacks. I think it's just a general rule of thumb. Like just don't just maybe don't watch it. Honestly, this um, is the uh, I mean, I, I can go ahead and lump in something that I've been told by multiple uh, NFL executives this okay. spring. Don't let anything in the spring change your opinion on players. Don't let besides just like bowl, measurement stuff. Don't right. let the senior bowl. Don't let the combine. Don't mm-hmm. let. Any of this stuff dictate your, your, that's how you have a bad draft class is you get and you say that guy won a couple one-on-ones at the senior bowl. I'm going to have to fly him up my draft board. Yeah. Um, the one NFL exec told me you give a guy a grade in the fall for a reason and Mm -hmm. the better general managers and better, uh, you know, front offices that draft well are the people who usually stick to their grades and grade correctly. Uh, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're malleable, with a guy's pro day or senior bowl or combine performance, you're probably going to get it wrong at the end of the day. 
and I, I don't think you're actually saying this, but I think that that does exclude guys that come in and just like measurement wise. It's a yeah, no, I mean, that's that's that, different. That was actually the thing that, that was also in the context of that conversation. Right. Some of those conversations were like, yeah, sometimes you go look and you try and size people up and you see what, you know, how a guy looks, what his mm-hmm. measurements are, uh, how his power or speed translates in person and seeing it up close. But right. you don't necessarily look at the guy who had a big game at the senior bowl and go, we might yeah. have to throw him up our draft board. That that doesn't happen. <laughs> and and as D Good points out, I see it in the chat. If you want to throw it up, Joe Milton's gonna look so good at his pro day. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna, he's gonna run gonna it that day. So it's gonna be awesome. And yeah, he should not get drafted ahead of like the seventh round, maybe. Right. But right. he's gonna look really good at his pro day and, and mm-hmm. in the combine. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that the 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 most good front offices allow the spring to do and the senior bowl and the combine and all these things is let it be a tiebreaker. Like when you see, like if you got two guys graded the same and you're just like, you're trying to find something to differentiate them on your board and you get to see them in the same context or they go one-on-one at the senior bowl or, you know, they measure slightly different at the combine. I'm guessing that's the extent to which they allow it to affect how they perceive guys. I think the meetings mean more than anything you'll see on the field or on video. And And we get to see none of that. Yeah. And so that's how, you know, like (laughs) nobody really knows that the, and you know, I'm sure we'll get more into that as we kind of go over some of these other pet peeves, but nobody really knows what they're talking about because you're not in the meeting room. And that is just a fact of, of the matter. Ultimately, the senior bowl and the combine are very, they're, they're much more helpful to those of us in the media and fans to just familiarize yourself with the class um, for the guys actually making these decisions. They know about these guys already. A couple more honorable mentions. Um, our, our buddy, Paul Kaharski, who we are all friends with on this show, he, he has done this twice now and I don't understand it. Asking coordinators about defensive fronts. Are you going to run a four, three, a three, four, man? It's so multiple today. I, I think it's kind of a dumb question and like, he's not gotten an answer both times. Cause I don't think that, you know what I mean? Like I, I, our buddy, Zach Lyons mentioned this to me after Paul asked it at the first press conference. And I'm not trying to rag on Paul. People ask this question all the time. He's just the one that has asked it a couple of times. The whole, are you going to run three, four, four, three, look at the track record and, and it's the NFL in 2024. Things are multiple. So I, you know, it's, it's going to be both a little bit. And then the last one here, which is one that I had presented to me that made me think because at first I didn't agree with it. But the point is there's some validity to it. The, this idea that you hear it all the time, like, man, day two of the draft, full of talent. That's where the value's at. That's where you want multiple picks. Their point was that, like, we say that every single year. And I'm not actually sure that's true. But the past two years, we've definitely said that. And I don't know. Does that, is that something that we need to all take a step back on and think, like, okay, that's actually just the way that the draft typically works? Or is it just that we've had a couple years in a row where that's been the case? Meaning, like, talent in the middle rounds of the draft yeah just like you know how you always hear is like oh man day two is where the value of this draft is but it's like that's the case every single year yeah i think it's just a general philosophy that i would definitely uh abide by like in general is like you know i know it's kind of like the thing that people say makes you sound smart if you're the trade back guy everybody's Mm -hmm. like oh Mm -hmm. this guy wants to trade back because he's smart and maybe there is something to that but like you don't want to do what the Titans do right this year, which is pick like in the thirties and then not pick again until 100 and something. Yeah. There's a lot of like, I just think it's in general in the draft, (laughs) there's a significant drop off between those players in that 40 to 50 range and the players that are at 100 to 120 on your board, because uh, that's the, that's the drop off to me. So if you can be a team that has, 
three or four picks. Like you hear teams say all the time, well, we've got four picks in the top 100 or Mm -hmm. five picks in the top 100. I want to know how many you have in like the top 55. Wait, where are they? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you the Niners and you have seven third round compensatory picks? Yeah. Right. I think there's a significant dip there. So it's probably just a general rule of like, hey, more picks, good. Sure. And we talked about this on the on our our show previous to this, just talking about, well, it's all what what we could just kind of recapping the Super Bowl. What could we learn from the Chiefs? Well, the Chiefs outside of outside of Patrick Mahomes, they have been really, really good at drafting in the second and third round. Like it's mm-hmm. been crazy how much value they've had in that second and third round to get guys who are just plug and play starters. Yeah. I, okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I forgot I wanted to talk about this, but okay. this is a, this might be my number one pet peeve of, oh, no. uh, of like an off season or just people in general is the, what can we learn from the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs, right? What what did we learn from them, or how can we do this thing? Or like, you know, I, my background. I'm a Chicago guy. I'm a Bears yeah, fan. Yeah. I still come across Bears Twitter and stuff all the time. Uh-huh. And there is this context of how can you watch what Patrick Mahomes did in the playoffs and say, let's keep Justin Fields. You have to strive for something higher. Sure. And I just rack my brain of saying, number one, what can you learn from the Chiefs? Nothing. You need Patrick Mahomes. And point two, there's only one Patrick Mahomes. End of list. Okay. Mm. They have the best player that's ever stepped on a football field. You don't. Sorry. That's that's what you can learn from watching that Super Bowl. <laughs> so strong so take. That, that, strong take. That's considering first... that was the that was the show title of every single show on radio, television, yeah, and podcast. And, and I have that same Bowl, show right. title, but what so I talked about was silly. that none of it yeah. really matters because right. you don't have Patrick Mahomes. Number two is the idea of we need to strive for more or like we need to try and get our Patrick Mahomes is the, can I curse on this podcast? You may. No shit. Everybody's been wanting a Patrick Mahomes (laughs) for the last hundred years of professional football. And there's been one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. it just, it drives me nuts watching people be like, well, you just can't watch what Patrick Mahomes did and settle for less. Everybody in the league settles for less every year. And sure, you can take small takeaways about like what wins games in the playoffs, what loses games in the playoffs, certain things. But every podcast that's doing shows recapping the Super Bowl is saying, eh, Patrick Mahomes is just inevitable. So why in the world are we talking about how this can impact the Titans in 2024? Like if they could get Patrick Mahomes, then maybe we have something to talk about. They have Patrick Mahomes, Sam. His name's Will Levis. Uh, Haven't you heard? I mean, but that like that's the realistic <laughs> reality of what we're talking about. That's what you're hoping for. If, it's a, if Will Levis yeah. becomes Patrick Mahomes, we are in good hands. And if he doesn't, we're gonna have to try and capitalize on a <laughs> one to the drawing board window where you're really competitive. And if you don't do it, you end up like all the other teams that were like, "Man, we let it get away, and now we're the Eagles, and we suck again." And we're looking at firing a head coach. <laughs> like, I love sports media. We get to just talk about the silliest things and pretend that it's serious. Uh, okay, let's let's get into the good stuff. We're, we're through the honorable mentions. And I'm going to throw it back to Sam here because he's got this first one. I, I think it's best for us to start this dummies guide to the offseason by going over some important dates. Because there are some important dates you need to keep in mind. And you often see folks talking about how you, well, do they, my team should do this then and then do, and you're like, well, timeout, pause, that you can only do certain things at certain times. So, Sam, tell the, elucidate the people as to what the important dates this year are. 
Well, the first date coming up is just five days from now, and it is uh, February 20th when the franchise tag window will open for teams. So you hear all the buzz about, oh, so-and-so is expected to use the franchise tag. I know Titans fans are on edge about what's going to happen with T. Higgins and what that situation is going to be. Teams cannot do any of those things until February 20th. And there is a window where that closes as well, which is March 5th. So from February 20th to March 5th is the franchise tag window. Um, and that is uh, an important date for free agency and things of that nature, because as we'll get into later on, a lot of the people who you see on Spotrack as free agents for this coming off season will not actually be available to be signed by your favorite team uh, on March 11th. Uh, so that is the reality of that. And that starts with the franchise tag window. February 27th starts the combine that will go for about a week. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, this is a, a big chance for media to get familiar with the draft class uh, for videos to be out there so that fans can watch some players and get a sense of who they like and who they're rooting for, for teams to get measurables on all of the top draft prospects and hopefully, um, you know, maybe to do something from then, but then more importantly, the meetings that go on between teams and players where uh, you're starting to learn more about if it's a quarterback, their processing ability and their leadership and personality style, um, different things for different position groups. March 11th is what I just referred to, which is the negotiating window. So uh, no, teams cannot talk to players. They should not be, your favorite team should not be calling up your favorite free agent right now. They have to wait until March 11th. The negotiating window will open at 11 a.m. Central. Uh, Now, are they talking to them yet? (laughs) Maybe. 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 Technically, they can't. We've we've learned from the Dolphins now. Uh, (laughs) They try. They sure do try. Um, Teams can contact unrestricted free agents' agents agents not the player unless the player represents themselves they cannot contact the player brian callahan cannot go call t higgins and say hey what are your thoughts on coming to the titans he has to call his agent um on march 11th negotiating of contracts will then happen and then march 13th is when the new league year begins and adam schefter will that's his super bowl where he will be going bonkers of signing 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 trade cut signing 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 um And those cuts, of course, will start rolling in because now you're starting to look at 2024 salaries and teams trying to free up salary cap space. Those actually might happen before then because you have to cut them by the league year for some guarantee deals that will then money will guarantee at the start of the new league year. That's about it until March 24th. That's the annual league meetings in Orlando. That will go till the end of March, the 27th. And then at the start of April for the Titans, off-season workout programs will begin. It's March, It's April 1st this year, not April 15th, because Brian Callahan is a new head coach. New head coaches can start their off-season workout programs sooner than the rest of the league. Then you've got a couple deadlines to uh, interview prospects, inter- do workouts with them at your own facility in the right, middle of please. April. Yep. April 19th is an important deadline because that is the deadline for restricted free agents to sign an offer sheet. We'll do more on restricted free agents later, but uh, if you are a restricted free agent negotiating with teams, you have to sign by April 19th. Um, And then there is the other deadlines for teams to, uh, I guess, exercise their right of refusal for those same restricted free agents, which again, we will talk about later. The NFL draft 
on April 25th to April 27th. Write and it down, kids. Start of May, fifth-year options deadline for uh, the 2021 draft class that is now entering their fourth NFL season. You have to make fifth-year option decisions on those players. Then it's rookie minicamp, and we're kind of back into the thing. So th this is, I guess, over the next few months, if you're looking for what dates to monitor for when the league is going to start shaking up, that's all of them right there. Yep. Perhaps the most talked about one uh, as we especially get into the the bulk of teams restructuring their roster is June 1st, right? And I know you, you hadn't gotten to that one yet, but that's a very important date every year on the NFL calendar. Can you can you talk to what exactly when you hear folks talk about, well, they might make him a post June 1st cut or the, the post-June 1st designations. What are the rules revolving around that date in the NFL calendar? Yeah, there's a lot of like contracts are obviously very convoluted it's minutia, for sure, and and it certainly can be confusing for casual NFL fans. But if you look at like anybody's contract details, uh, the amount of guaranteed money owed to a player changes depending on when they are cut in a season. You can, right. uh, June 1st is off the time when all of the escalations of future guarantees would escalate onto a team's cap in an individual year versus doing it earlier when you can uh, keep the structure as a multi-year payout of certain guaranteed contracts. So just, just the amount of cap space a team can clear is affected by when that person is cut. Now that, it's that right. player doesn't need to be cut on June 1st. Mm -hmm. It might come out on March 20th that he's being cut, but designated as a post June 1st cut, which as you said, is bookkeeping of Technically, he's on payroll until June 1st, and then he's cut as a way of manipulating the cap to either free up cap space now or eat that cap space in this current league year to then free up cap space in the future. It's something the Titans did with Bud Dupree last offseason, where we knew he was gone on March 15th, uh, but they didn't technically cut him until June and right. they saved cap space last season because Julio Jones before him as well. Titans have done that a couple of times. Um, yeah, and, and that's the one tiny detail there that that uh, folks tend not to understand as well is when you are a post June 1st designation that that cap uh, hit is split up over the next two seasons. And so it Correct. affects you further into the future. You're kicking that can down the road a little bit. Um, that was fantastic. Well done. No notes, Sam. This is precisely why you are the person that I came to because I knew that you'd be able to articulate these things well for folks. Um, I've got the next one here. And that would be accounts not to trust there are a lot of accounts that become very popular on social media <laughs> this time of year and some of them are shadier than others uh I've, i'm trying to pull up I, I had a list of these that i'm going to find um but there's there's a general distinction between the two types of accounts you're going to find out there there are aggregators and there are essentially rumor mills right and the aggregators are guys like Do your dov kleinman's which our, our nameless face, sometimes nameless, faceless folks. Michael Florio is a, is a great example of it, probably the, the highest ranked aggregator. The in the aggregator, game. Mike Florio. Yes, he's he is a first ballot <laughs> Hall of Fame aggregator. Mike Florio is, um, but he's very plugged in. Dov Kleinman is also a guy that tends to give credit to where he is pulling information from. And then you've got your classic uh, NFL rums, uh, NFL notify, a lot of these accounts that kind of come across as, uh, like high schoolers that that are aspiring future Adam Schefters a little bit. Um, but th those are the kinds of accounts that you're going to see um, pop up in, in significant detail with some 
some pretty significant claims over the next couple of months. And you're going to look at it and you're going to say, this has 150,000 likes, but it doesn't sound very accurate. Trust your gut. Usually it's not, it's not real. It's not a thing. And so um, know the difference between those accounts and know which ones you can and can't trust. These accounts are in the depths of the internet. I am, uh, I the do sewers. give them, do give them a ton of credit for, some of the stuff that they find, I mean, I will be scrolling and I'll see something pop up and I'm like, well, this story and I'll go and I'll Google it and I'll like find the story that they're referencing. And I'm just like, you took this little snippet out of this article from blew it up and wherever and turned it into a national headline. So <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how they're in the depths of every which corner of the internet and keeping up with everything, but they are. And as you said, just kind of verify your sources. Uh, you know, if you see something, Double check it, Google it, give it a good search. Make sure you're paying attention to the language in which things are reported because language is very important to these aggregate accounts. I think one of the biggest knocks against them that you could say is they tend to uh, report in uh, factual language, uh, which things that are more speculatory language. So Mm -hmm. they turn speculation into a report there's a big difference between those two things. And it's important that fans know the difference when they're reading stuff. Yep. Totally agree. JT, you got the next one. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one here. And this one, this is maybe just more personally, one of my pet peeves, um, but it's too early mock drafts. And I think that this this is, this is one that I think we can go back in the Titans media space all the way to November when people were starting to put okay. out mock drafts as well. Because it's, it's the worst when your team sucks, right? Because everybody wants to just jump to the next season. But yes, it does. Um, but it really is. I think that the perfect time to start coming out with mock drafts is post combine, because that's when you start to really get to this point where you start to see Some teams leak things to credible sources, and that's where you start to see these draft boards come really out into the public space. Right now, I think the biggest one right now is with J.J. McCarthy and people kind of speculating that he's going to be a top 10 pick. Personally, I I agree with you, Sam, and what these NFL executives do. They have their grades. It's just when they start to leak things, which could be true or false, is when you start to get into this, and that's post-combine, I think. And I don't think J.J. McCarthy is a top 10 maybe even a top 20 pick in this draft however that's what you're starting to see in these in these really okay uh in these i'm I'm, I'm drinking the kool-aid wow okay i mean not not that he he, should be to be clear not that he should be that he will be i mean i i would be surprised about that but that's why i think that these mock drafts before you really get a full view of these guys into the full media space that it's really not uh it's not worthwhile because in the Titan space right now, when we have these mock drafts coming out, I think I, I want to say I, I said this, I made this claim, um, like pre week 18, maybe week 17, that we are so, we're so early into the draft season that we're going to escalate this to, well, could the Titans, if Jaden Daniels was there, consider mm. a quarterback? And we're already like, I we're thought this there. was going I've to be it. something post combine we are already seeing a lot of accounts be like, could the Titans even consider a quarterback at seven? And it's just something that makes me want to bash my head into a wall every single time, because it's just like, we're, we're now in, we've, we've jumped the shark on it. And now we're kind of in limbo. And like you said earlier, and it's only February, it's, it's only February. We don't even know where free agents are going to go, which totally change how a mock draft looks. So I think that's why 
doing mock drafts too early is a fun exercise, but it's not something to build everything around. Yeah, I mean, I, I will agree. November is crazy. We don't know the draft order. Like as a point one of a mock draft is what is the order in which teams are selecting players? And if we don't know that, we cannot pick a mock draft. Um, I've done one mock draft this offseason. I did one post-combine. I think they're more – it was a, a team-specific seven-round mock. We actually brought this up because we hate you specifically, Sam. We read your <laughs> right, mock and we yeah. said you're a moron. I would, yeah, I would push back on the idea that it has to be post combine specifically because I do think right. It, it just depends on what you're taking mock drafts for, right? Don't take and it so I, seriously. In I think January. right, and I, I right. think like my initial Titans mock draft is I think a, a good example for Titans fans about some of the needs that they could potentially target. It's not necessarily tied to this player specifically or that player specifically. It's like, hey, this guy seems like a good fit, and this could be the position groups that they target in certain levels of the draft based on need, draft position, the okay. overall class, etc. Okay. But as you've mentioned, so much is subject to change where like – and I. I had to qualify my mock draft by saying this, where I had the Titans taking Malik Neighbors at number seven. If the Titans were to sign a wide receiver, uh, a, a premium wide receiver at right. that, they are immediately out of every wide receiver conversation at number seven possible Bingo. in my eyes. And so these things develop over the course of the offseason, and I think they can be helpful uh, tools to see how things are adapting and changing for your favorite team or for the league in general. Uh, but yeah, there aren't really a ton of things that change week to week, day to day until post combine and you get closer to the draft. So, uh, you know, don't if somebody's doing a on their mock draft 4.0 already, my question for them would be <laughs> relax. What is the difference between 4.0 and 1.0? What have you learned? What has changed in the yeah. last four weeks that you have, have shifted your points drastically? So. Here's the big here's the big picture pet peeve for me. That is is it's this, but it's it's. It's bigger than just the whole mock draft thing. It is the honesty of people regarding the draft this time of year. I see is constantly in January oh and gosh. February, folks very clearly talking about players and things they just haven't done their due diligence on yet. And that's fine. It oh, is like is... my number one thing is it is no, no, no. It's let me clarify. It is fine if you like for folks like Sam and JT and I, if it is January 20th and I don't know about a guy that's a third round cornerback, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't know about that guy yet. I'm going to get to him. And I, that doesn't mean I'm not a source on the draft that you can trust. Give me a month or two and I'll be able to tell you about these guys and I will be a valuable resource for you. But right now I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I can do a seven round mock draft where rounds three through seven, I'm making a super informed decision for the Titans in my mock draft because I'm sitting here looking at this list of guys that are available and I don't know them just like you don't know them. Um, and so like, that's, that's why I've, I've put out a mock draft uh, on Twitter a couple of times. I tend to do like, let's do a three round mock draft. Let's do a five round mock draft. Sam, I saw yours from the post, uh, the post senior bowl. And it seemed like yours was very much senior bowl informed. You had a lot of senior bowl guys in there. That's great. That's fine. It's it's a great tool for folks to start to learn about guys that you have started to learn about. And we kind of slot them in and, and then the picture becomes more clear later on. But I wish folks in our line of business would be more for forefront with with their fans, their followers. Like, here's what I know so far. Here's what I don't. 
I'm sorry that it's February 15th, and I don't know a ton about Jerzon Newton yet. Yes, he's a first-round prospect, but he's a defensive lineman, and the Titans aren't super in the first-round defensive lineman market, so I haven't gotten to him yet. I'm sorry. I will let you know when I have, and I'm not going to go Google Dane Brugler's rundown on Jerzon Newton and then parrot it as my own thing like I know anything about this guy. Yeah, it, it's super... Um... I think that's I, that's not where I thought you were going when you were talking about like being forthcoming and honest at this yes. time of year. But I do think there's a lot to that of, uh, you know, and I've had to do this on multiple occasions, right? I'm live on the radio. I'm asked about how do you feel about so-and-so this specific mm-hmm. draft prospect? And it's like, ah, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't look at him for a second at the <laughs> right, senior bowl. It's like, right. I, I had my eyes a lot of places. There were 200 I t- guys, man. I, I, I couldn't watch them all. On, I tried to focus on 10 dudes who I thought uh-huh. he fits for the Titans at various points. If I didn't notice him in the team period, then I probably didn't make an individual effort to like scout him outside of specific people. And, and like you said, yeah, there's a lot of time before the draft. We are going to get there. As things start to shape, take shape, as JT pointed out, with like free agency, and you understand, oh, Titans just signed a left tackle to a big deal. Maybe they're not looking at left tackle in the first round anymore. Maybe it's it a later round pick. Now maybe you spend more time on that left tackle that could go in the fourth or fifth round, and you're you're focusing more on it. But um, it's okay to not know. It's okay yes. to not be okay. Yes. I yes. thought you were talking about information, and because I have to do this – my brother is guilty of this all the time. And I have to tell him like any information that you hear right now, just sit there for a minute and ask mm-hmm. yourself, why is this information coming out and where it could it possibly Bingo. be coming from? Bingo. Because people are not honest. People leaked negative test scores that have been told now proven to be false about <laughs> CJ Stroud yes. and his whatever S2 test, the S2 cognition test last year. And there's a reason for that. There was a team, whether it's your Tennessee Titans that were hoping the Texans wouldn't trade for that pick and take him or somebody else hoping he would fall. There is a reason that somebody wanted that information out there. And so information is very difficult to trust during the draft process because everybody has their own agenda. Media is unfortunately an outlet for agents, players, teams, coaches, to communicate their agenda from what appears to be an unbiased Bend that narrative, baby. Uh, yeah, it, it appears unbiased. It's like, oh, well, Adam Schefter reported it. Adam Schefter was told what to report. Who by told somebody. Adam Schefter that? Right. Did right. he find and it so out you, of his own? Not that there's anything wrong with that from Adam Schefter, right? Information is information, and you're telling a side of the story. Just slow down and ask yourself, why is this out there and does it matter? Yes, I, I love that you brought up the information thing because. Um, I, I went, I went back and was just like going through some tweets from last year. And it's so funny how, what we think we know on April 1st is different by the draft. And what we think we know in February sure as hell is different by the draft. Um, it, it, I was listening to Dane Brugler talk about this on an athletic podcast earlier today. You're right. That teams in the NFL, nothing gets out unless there's, there's a point for it to get out, right? Things don't just accidentally leak. Everything is intentional and Brugler was talking about the the combine invites which came out earlier uh, I think last week um and talking about like guys that were on there guys that weren't on there in the process and apparently there's a committee and they vote just yes or no each team has a guy representative on the committee 
um, and, and they vote yes or no whether they should be at the combine based on their college tape. And even that has some gamesmanship to it. Dane was saying, like, there are certain teams where there's a player on a small school that they have done some extra legwork on. They're like, we kind of like this guy. We think he's a hidden gem in this draft. And they will intentionally say, we don't think this guy should come to the combine. Not because they don't think he should be there, but because they don't want the other teams to find out about him. That That is in a microcosm. It is it is the way that things work in the NFL with information. So a very, very good point on your part as well. It's a cynical business. And it as is. much as you might want to think, oh, well, they – They'll feel good for that kid, and they want they want to do right by that kid out of Toledo. On their team. That, that should On be, their team. They're like, no, I, <laughs> regardless of how much they want that kid to succeed, they'd much rather it be for them in the sixth round mm -hmm. than Pittsburgh in the fourth. And so, uh, you know, it's a self-serving uh, industry, and, and teams, agents, players are all self-serving out there. All right, Sam, you got the next one. What we got? So I'm having to go back from being muted, unmuted because no, there you're are good. trains passing outside my apartment oh, right nice. now. We don't want to disturb uh, any uh, any of the listeners right now. Right, of course. Um, but the next thing is going to be that uh, so popular franchise tag right now that is mm -hmm. being discussed by uh, Titans fans because of one man, that man being T. Higgins. But uh, okay. as I alluded to earlier in the show here, not everybody that is currently listed as a free agent is going to be available for signing. Not going to really? be a free agent. They're going to be under contract at some point. And uh, because of the franchise tag. So if you're unfamiliar, uh, in lamest terms here, the franchise tag is a one-year guaranteed non-negotiable salary or contract offer, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, that teams – put in front of one of their players that is a free agent. It is based on the top percent of salaries at your given position group, the top five specifically. Um, and so it is, a, it is an average based on what the top guys at your position are making. If you're a quarterback that's tagged, you're going to get paid more than a wide receiver that's tagged who will get right. paid more than a defensive lineman that's tagged and, and, and you aren't slapping it on just any player. It's got to be one of the best guys on your roster, Correct. right? You get, well, I mean, you, you could slap it on any player. That's you're not going to free agent, right. but if yeah. you, unless you want to pay NWI $20 million, you probably <laughs> shouldn't. I'm just going <laughs> to forewarn good you. advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, you get one per off season. So, uh, you cannot, if you've got multiple big name free agents, you cannot tag both of them. And then it's only used on impending unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, not eligible for the franchise tag. That is the standard. Now we also have two types of franchise tags. We have exclusive tags and non-exclusive tags. Mm -hmm. The sim the difference is pretty much what they say in the name. An exclusive tag does not allow that player to negotiate with other teams in free agency. They're paid their salary. They do not have the option to negotiate, but they are paid a higher salary than somebody on a non-exclusive tag. I will say exclusive tags are very, very rare. Usually just it, quarterbacks, right? I think historically it's primarily Even so, kind right, of and rare. still very rare. And yes. the reason why is because, number one, non-exclusive tags, like I said, are less in salary. And two, a player on a non-exclusive tag is still very unlikely to get an offer sheet from a different organization because if you allow that player to sign that contract sheet, 
you have to then get, you get two first round picks. So if I am a team trying to sign Lamar Jackson, like the last season was a big storyline in the NFL to a 10 year extension to go be my franchise quarterback, I can do that. But the Baltimore Ravens are going to say, okay, he's yours. And now not only am I paying this guy a fat contract, I am stuck giving up two first round picks to his former team. So non-exclusive tags are much more popular because teams would rather one, not pay the guy as much. And two would rather get two first round picks in return than just block the guy from signing somewhere in general. Um, that's kind of the, the basis of a franchise tag. Now there are some other nuances here. Like you can trade a guy on a franchise tag, which is very common, very popular that if we don't think we're going to get a long-term deal done with this guy, we also don't want to just let him walk in free agency as an unrestricted free agent. So we'll tag you, we'll trade you. And then the, whatever team is trading for that player can then give him whatever extension they see fit. But, uh, there's something to keep in mind as you're scrolling specifically premier positions like wide receiver or quarterback in free agency of saying, eh, not so fast. I'm not sure Michael Pittman Jr. or T. Higgins are going to be there for the Titans to just scoop up whenever they want it. So to be clear for Titans fans that think there is still a shred of hope with T. Higgins, there are technically two routes the Titans could go to acquiring him. They could forcefully take him by, for some reason, giving the Cincinnati Bengals two future first round picks signing and him away a hundred million dollars spending a gajillion dollars on his contract. Yeah. Uh, you could do that, which they obviously will not, but you could also try to trade after the Bengals choose to tag him and you'd have to give the Bengals. We were talking about this on the show the other day. I'd imagine the, the T Higgins trade value after being tagged is still somewhere in the second round, first round territory. Probably. It ain't cheap, brother. You're not it giving away sh- a third rounder to get T Higgins. Yeah. It would surprise me if it's a one, just because right, uh, like the contract that you would have to give to him combined with some of the injuries combined with like never really had elite number one production. It could be like the leaked leaked price from but the Bengals, probably- which is essentially there. We're not trading him price. Like we're first round pick or don't talk to us. Yeah. Kind of it's also like, but if you're the Titans right now, it's probably pick 38. Like you're mm-hmm. probably not getting away without trading 38 or like, Teams also don't really like future picks. Uh, They like some sort of clarity and definite, this is the pick we're getting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if we're trading away T Higgins and we're still in our window and we have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, well, we might want a pick that we can use to replace him, i.e. Titans with A.J. Brown, right? They're like, hey, you give us, I always get the number wrong, 18 or whatever it is. We're going to take Traylon Burks. Because we think Traylon Burks can be a plug-and-play replacement for AJ in our offense, and then we don't have to pay the money. That's what teams are looking to do if they're trading Which away was that fantastic player. Fantastic rationale, yes, no, yes. And John Robinson was dead on. He got um, his guy, <laughs> and he was fired shortly after. Um, okay, uh, I've got the next one here, and this one is certainly a pet peeve of mine. Let's talk about some generational can't miss prospect prospects. Um, let's take them one at a time. First of all, the generational tag, and this is talked about a lot in sports media uh, as, as foolish, but it's also thrown around a lot in sports media. Here's my, and it's like, it's a, it's a nondescript thing. So that's why I think it's used so differently. It means a different thing to different people. For me personally, when you're going to call a guy, a generational prospect, I'm going to need there to not be another generational prospect at that position for 
another generation? Like, like, can we do a decade at least? Like, if you're the if Trevor Lawrence was a generational quarterback prospect in 2021 or whenever it was, there needs to not be another. We need we can't be talking about Caleb Williams as a generational prospect four years, three years later. Can't we can't be it. talking about Caleb Williams' generational prospect in like the same generation as Andrew Luck. And yes. I still think we're in the yes. same generation. Like if right. Andrew Luck was the prospect, that's it. The, he was the prospect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's no, 100%. So I think the generational thing is dumb and everybody recognizes that. The thing that I think less people recognize and is used more flippantly, and it bothers me just as much, is the idea of a can't miss prospect. And you're seeing this talked about a lot in, in the Titans. Uh, scope of the draft right now, which is why I think it'll it'll lend to some interesting conversation. A, a lot of talk, like you mentioned earlier, Sam, about potentially trading back, and the Titans are objectively in a position where they could be a prime trade back candidate because of the 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 point at which they are in the team building cycle. You know what they need on their team, which is a lot of things. Where they are in the draft, which is a valuable position. All of those things make them on paper a, a trade back candidate. And the pushback from a lot of folks that are very anti trade back is, man, you're at seven. You've got to come away with a blue chip, can't miss talent in Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze or Joe Alt or Olu Fishanu or Brock Bowers. One of these guys that is is going to be there at seven. You got to get a can't miss guy instead of taking a risk on a guy later in the draft. And what bothers me so much about this is the pe- people's misunderstanding of the draft. Uh, here's the reality. The NFL draft is a game of probabilities, right? It is all it is all a math exercise at the end of the day, not to analytics pill everything, but really this is what the draft is. The the closest you get in the draft to a can't miss guy is a guy that is as close to a can't miss prospect as you can get, right? It is the B. John Robinson last year. It's the Peter Skaronsky last year. Uh, you know, this year guys like Caleb Williams and, and and Brock Bowers are talked about in that way. It's these guys that are the top of their position group in that draft, one of the best at their position we've seen in a while. And those are the top, top blue chipper guys. Now we've seen those guys over and over and over come in and get drafted and go to a bad team and they end up sucking. They weren't can't miss. In fact, they did miss, right? And, and so while a guy at the top 10 of the draft might be a 90% outcome. This guy's going to work for you. There still exists that 10% chance that it just does not work out. And so the idea that you can't move down from the seventh position for the Titans, because you can't take the risk of a 60% guy at 14 or whatever it is and get more capital is just really foolish. And a misunderstanding of the way that the draft works to me, because you aren't guaranteed anything at seven, just like you aren't guaranteed anything at, further on in the first round yeah i mean there's no such thing as a true guarantee even number one overall with the best prospect in the draft and everybody's on the same page there's no no true guarantee right that is a just a reality of life nothing is guaranteed patrick mahomes is not guaranteed to make the playoffs ever again in his career 99.9 but you know you don't you can't foresee the future and guarantee anything Um, my issue with can't miss is just, I think we misdefine can't miss, or we've allowed it to get like kind of diluted in what it should mean. Okay. Can't miss is a phrase that I think is actually useful to describe a high floor player, a high floor prospect where we're not saying he's going to be awesome. We're just saying he's going to be impactful at some level, because mm-hmm. I think NFL fans have a, a, a 
wrong perception of the draft and they don't necessarily realize just how many first round picks literally don't do anything. It's half literally, of them. Like, it is a 50, the first round historically first... is a 50, 50 proposition. Yeah. And, and so it, it's crazy. Like I, I'm sitting here watching a Super Bowl commercial that has Solomon Thomas in it. And I'm like, mm. this is a, a wildly talented defensive end that went third overall in the NFL draft and had buzz to go number one mm-hmm. that just has been on four teams and doesn't do anything. And, and that happens so frequently that when you say can't miss to me, you're saying you're not getting that guy. You're mm-hmm. not getting Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. You're getting a starter for the first two years of his career at maybe a swing tackle the next couple of years, but he's going to be on your team and be a player that plays in football games. And if you hit on the pick, he gets a second contract and he's, Mm -hmm. but if Joe Walt, uh, let's just use that example. Sure. So I disagree with you in the trade down. I think the drop off from Joe Walt to those next tackles is significant. And so if and I'm, I'm not saying it's not, I'm just saying the idea I, that you can't miss on the guys true. at the top. No, and, and you are playing probabilities if yes. you are a team in that spot. But if Joe Walt was truly the franchise left tackle for 10 years that mm-hmm. Titans media or national media is portraying him to be right now, he'd probably go first overall newsflash sure. because yep. that's a really valuable position. And like, and there aren't a lot of a consistent left tackle that is yes. like locked up on a rookie deal. That guy wouldn't be going seventh overall to the mm-hmm. Tennessee Titans. He's a high floor prospect in my eyes, who I think is the surest bet of any offensive lineman in this class Bingo. to be productive at the NFL level and have an impact on the Titans immediately. Does that mean he's their left tackle five years from now? I don't know, even if they take him. And and so I don't hate the phrase can't miss. I just think we need to be able to like correctly quantify what we mean when we're saying it. We're not saying, at least I'm not saying, a lot of people Mm -hmm. unfortunately are saying, Right, that this person is going to be a consistent pro bowler that is just like an awesome player at this position forever. Those prospects don't exist. I'm sorry. Right. I, I love that that's the way that you frame it because I think a the most recent Titans first round pick, Peter Skaronsky, is a perfect example of this. He was talked about in both of those ways, right? You heard some folks talk about, hey, Peter Skaronsky, wherever he goes, he has first year all pro potential. That's one way that he was talked about. The other is this guy's a can't miss prospect and folks were talking about him in that way. The way that you are defining can't miss this idea that, Hey, he's going to come in and at a bare minimum, he's going to be a starter. And that is ultimately what he was, right? Did he have a phenomenal first year? No, he did not. Was he clearly and obviously in his first year as an NFL lineman, a starting NFL lineman? Yes, he was. And that was what the can't miss floor was. And so a lot of folks in retrospect, in Nashville media and on certain radio programs have been very critical of Peter Skaronsky. And, and they, they point back to, I thought he was supposed to be a can't miss prospect. You you're took him at 11. Yourself, <laughs> right. You, you are telling on yourself to me when you are, you are pointing back and saying, I thought he was a can't miss prospect. And then he had his first year like that. You're, you're telling me that you, your definition of can't miss isn't very accurate. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a really, really important distinction of like it, Again, it's just like, uh, slow down and ask yourself another question. Mm-hmm. If this player is that definition, why are they available at 11? Because mm-hmm. 
there is a reality to to some of this where it's like if this guy was if every NFL team believed this guy was definitely going to do this thing. How many stud left tackles are in the league? I think it's less than the number of stud quarterbacks are in the league. He, he would it would be a more covet if you could find a guy that was for sure a starting left tackle and was one of the best guys. He would be more valuable than Caleb Williams and Drake May in this class. Yeah, and I, I don't think the expectation for the Titans or any other franchise all the time is, hey, can we find a star left tackle? I think you're just trying to find competent and consistently competent. Yes. But consistently competent is pretty damn good when you look mm-hmm. at the trade-off of what you've had recently and what other teams around the NFL have struggled to produce is consistently competent offensive line play. I think at quarterback, you need to, the reason that we see quarterbacks continue to go at the top of draft classes, even when they're not deserving and why I agree with Easton that somebody's taken JJ McCarthy in the top 15 is because you're always looking for, to a flaw, like I said, the Patrick Mahomes, you are striving for something higher. You're hunting the ceiling. You're hunting the ceiling. You are hunting a ceiling and striving for more than competent. I think on offensive line, teams are more frequently okay with a floor and just knowing that it's not going to be a detriment to their team. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Okay. So along the same lines, JT, you've got the next one. Uh, What what do we have next on the, on the dummies guide to the NFL offseason? And this one, maybe I'm a hypocrite in the moment of, of using this. I was about to put maybe. it back in your face. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe, face. maybe I'm a hypocrite, but I don't know. Maybe JJ McCarthy's a special case in my eyes. I, I don't know. And okay. this is to, to each their own, but dealing in absolutes in any sort of draft class is a huge pet peeve of mine, mostly Agreed. because we can look back at last year's draft class and kind of look at from a Titans perspective, what they were thinking about doing and seeing that most uh, if not all mock drafts that I read last season had Will Levis as a prospect that was a first round talent. He's going in the first round. Well, we top saw three. we saw a top three, maybe even the Colts. Maybe they were thinking about him there. Was it him or Anthony Richardson? He falls entirely out of the first round. We talk about last year or the year before with Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and Kenny Pickett. These are all guys who were going to go in the top in the top. Two of the three didn't even go before the third round. These are guys that I think when you talk about it as an absolute, you just can't know what's going on in that building. The same way that when we go to the combine, we can take what we see at face value, but there's a totally different element underneath the surface of these meetings and the medicals and what these teams are really looking for that we just never will know. And that's a big part of why I think maybe even I'm wrong that teams are going to meet with we're all guilty we are all guilty of this see see jj mccarthy is something that i personally don't see him as and so i think that's why you can never truly rule out a a any player in this in this draft class and i think it goes both ways that oh a player won't be there at 38 a player won't be there at so and so that's my favorite one this guy won't be there or I'm sure I, about that i'm sure awfully sure about that be there is fine but yes <laughs> right, or right you can go with will this player, will this player be there? And I think that's where we kind of throw it back I don't think on. I this guy will be there. And, and that's kind of where we, where, where we go back to will, like you just said, Sam, in, in the last one, will Joe Alt be there at seven? Like many Titans fans already think will happen. Like, mm-hmm. is there a reality where the, the, the giants or Jim Harbaugh wants to build Chargers. through the line with mm-hmm. the chargers and wants to take Joe Alt? I think that this is, not a guarantee when you see all these mock drafts that Joe Alt is in these these Titans fans hyping themselves up with 
yes, Joe Alt is going to be our future. I'm so excited. Well, there are two teams in front of you and who could he's use gone him. At five. All right. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, who could use him? Just it's kind of like the same exact thing that happened with Paris Johnson last year, where Titans fans were so excited about 100%. Paris Johnson. Yep. And then the Cardinals like trade out six? and then trade back up. To he was six, gone a long time. Um, yeah. It, it was. It was. Interesting to see how coveted he was. I think Joe Alt might be the same. So I think it goes both ways. Yeah, I think uh, the other aspect of this too, outside of just knowing what's going on on the building and a team's actual board, like nobody knows what an actual board looks like. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I can't stress enough is teams don't know what they're going to do going into the draft. Mm-hmm. Last year, I had people texting me, calling me, what are the Titans going to do at 11? What do they want to do? The answer they don't know. They don't know. Because they have to wait and see what everybody else ahead of them does. The yeah. only team that knows what they're going to do right now is the Chicago Bears mm-hmm. because they have the first overall pick. They have the option to do whatever the heck they want to do at first overall. Mm-hmm. But even the commander sitting at second overall can sit there and say, we're going to take Drake May. We're going to take Jaden Daniels. And if Caleb Williams is, for whatever unforeseen reason, there, their plans change rapidly. And so I think as much kind of crap as Rand Carthon got for this last draft cycle, where it was like, oh, we're playing our board, we're playing our board, we're playing our board. I think Titans fans or NFL fans in general would be surprised to know how many NFL teams actually operate in this way, that it truly is a best player available sort of approach, how close they are to drafting somebody else. They might go into the draft day thinking they're going to end up with somebody and somebody they don't think is there is available. And then their plans change and it, it impacts decisions that are made. And because of that, nobody as the entire point of this bullet point is can speak in, in assurances of knowing exactly what's going to happen and definite language. Uh, There is always something that could throw a wrench in plans. We get examples of it every year too. I'm thinking back just to like last year's first round and a lot of guys that went in the first round that you saw incessantly mocked in the second round for a lot of teams. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, did anybody see him going at 12 last year? That was a surprise. You had both of the Iowa boys, uh, Van Ness and uh, JT, help me out. Uh, Jack Campbell, both of those guys go in the first round. They're both gone before the 20s. Um, You can look at the Titans. And and literally, obviously, there was a lot of criticism. I'm one of them because I I don't necessarily subscribe to the board approach as much as uh, I think a lot of teams subscribe to it. I think there should be some emphasis on like, hey, what's the uh, position of need here? Um, and, and oh, I see, I see. So I like, that's my personal thing. But if you look at the Titans, right, there was all this criticism about why are they not drafting a wide receiver? They could have very well had plans to draft a wide receiver in the second round and then looked up and said, Levis is on the board at the end of day one. Mm-hmm. He was our QB two. Like mm-hmm. we might have to go and make a move for this guy and plans change. And that's not to say they're necessarily neglecting the position. That's not to say they don't want to draft a wide receiver or that they just don't care to draft a wide receiver. It's that things they couldn't foresee happening happened and they react to what happens in front of them. And I think it's a big thing here. Like tighten up. Tony says media consensus versus the actual draft is always fun to watch. I think this was the exact exercise we saw last season with this entire wide receiver class guys like Josh Downs. And I know for, for me as well, Jaden Reed, AT Perry, these are guys who I thought could have potential. Even Jalen Hyatt could go late second, maybe even the second round, maybe the third round. 
We saw none of these guys go in the second round. The first one that comes off the board is Josh Downs in round three. You see Jalen Hyatt also go round three. Then you see guys like Jaden Reed and A.T. Perry go in the fourth and sixth round. So it's like like very much like these teams are seeing these players differently than we see them as a media consensus. Yep. How many fans last year do you think were sitting in March mocking DeWand Jones to their team in the fourth round and you put it on Twitter and then you just get relentlessly bullied and then lo and behold, he falls out of the first, falls out of the second. Cleveland gets DeWand, DeWandre the Giant in the fourth round. Yeah, like th- these things happen with medicals and things behind the scenes that we don't see. So um, just, just all we're asking is just be a little bit more open-minded to the possibility of different things happening unforeseen things happening and that's kind of a minor pet peeve of mine when you see some cynical folks be like well media coverage from for the draft is kind of all pointless anyways because every single year it's proven that the you know the consensus media board is is completely different from how the league perceives these guys and there's some truth to that but you know what's also different Every single team's board, like it's not like the media thinks one thing and then all the NFL teams collectively believe the other thing in a consensus. It's everybody's board is different and it takes one person being super high or super low on a guy and picking out of line to scramble the board. Yeah, the uh, the perception is so funny. One, because I think te- fans watch the draft, especially casual, casual fans watch mm-hmm. the draft, and they're looking at, oh, Mel Kuyper's got this guy as a second best available. Why aren't we pulling the trigger on him? He's been up there forever. They want to um, lose. Our and I also sucks. think, there, yeah, there's this like, uh, I don't know, the way that I see it in my brain of how I think fans sometimes can see a team's board is like a fantasy football draft day. When everybody pulls up, but they've mm-hmm. all printed out the same list off ESPN, and we're all looking at the same half point PPR rankings and crossing uh-huh. off the same names as it goes. Every um, NFL team should be have their draft settings on BPA and just auto draft. Right. That's the way and, it so, be. and so, like, everybody's looking, it's like, oh, well, his ADP is like, you know, in the low teens, and I'm sitting here at 25, and maybe that makes it a good pick. And right. uh, the reality is, everybody's done their own independent research, and that guy that you've got sitting at the top of your board is on page five for somebody else and you know it's like your your family fantasy league where your sister who doesn't pay attention to football just picks the names she likes the most and then she wins the league it's like it takes one person having a different perspective oh oh the at perry he was my 10th round sleeper she liked his name in the fourth big idiot and then (laughs) exactly then they win the league yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, okay i have the last one here and then we'll get out of here uh let's talk about mock draft simulators they're 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 nice tools. They're they're it is it is nice to have them at our disposal, and they certainly are fun to sit on your phone at eleven o'clock in bed, and you're just like I'm bored, and I love football, and I'm sick in the brain. Let me let me just grind through some PFF mock draft sims and see see what I can do. Um, it's easy to take advantage of them, and it's also surprisingly easy to have them take advantage of you. And I have two examples. Uh, one was. The more obvious one is is you see all the time folks taking advantage of simulators because there is an element of uh, randomness to the algorithm. Like you can sit on PFF's mock draft sim for the Titans at seven. And if you do enough of them in a row, it will let you draft Marvin Harrison Jr. at seven. I, my will. first two that I ever did on there just to kind of see what the thing. I hate these things. I'll mm-hmm. give some thoughts on it in a second. Okay. But my, okay. my first two times, I was like, what, what is this thing spitting out right now? It's pulling up. I can get I was Drake like, May at seven. I can get, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, what if I draft Malik Neighbors at seven? Then what kind of tackles are available to me? But I kept going through it. And it's like Marvin Harrison Jr. is available at seven. And I'm just mm-hmm. like. 
this thing sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so I think that that's a, that's a great litmus test. If you're seeing folks put their mock drafts online, I, I feel equipped to give a relatively informed opinion on this person's ball knowledge based on whether or not their mock draft has any actual like of their own rationale. Like, Oh, this guy, you know, he's, he's picking a guy in the second round and all of these mocks that pretty clearly isn't going to be there. Like, Oh, that, you know, this guy's getting Brian Thomas jr. At 38 that every single time seems pretty unlikely. Um, So don't like, if you're going to do mock drafts, it's fine. Don't, it's going to let you try to take advantage of it. Just don't. You're going to make yourself look dumb. The, the other thing is it can take advantage of you because they are imperfect. Uh, I, I did a, a thing yesterday, last night actually, uh, where I, I did a, a mock trying to trade the Titans back to have somebody trade up to seven to draft J.G. McCarthy ahead of the Falcons at eight. It was a whole thing. But uh, in, I, in saw, that, I saw that tweet. Right. Ooh. So I, tra- I trade back from seven to 12 on there and people – Ignore the the purpose of me doing that was just to illustrate how the Titans could move back because of JJ's draft stock. There are a lot of teams at 11, 12, and 13 that could use a quarterback. That was the whole point of it, and I just wanted to illustrate it. But people latched on to not that, which was the, the purpose of it, but rather the draft compensation that the PFF draft simulator gave me in return. My bad. Fourth and fifth round pick going from seven back to 12 or whatever it was which is inaccurate, right? Like James Foster, our buddy James Foster pointed out that two years ago, moving back that many in the first round, uh, net a team two second round picks. That's actually the the value of that kind of trade. But for some reason, the draft simulator, when I try to do that, says that you can't do, it's not going to, the fantasy other team that we have, the the AI says, no, we will not accept that trade. And so I was forced to be given this other thing. So just like, it's not gospel is my ultimate point here. The lesson to be learned is, use them as a tool it's a lot like people talk pff grades and kind of that kind of deal where it's if it's gospel to you you're doing it wrong use it as a tool but use it intelligently i just find that the like outside of the inconsistencies of it that we mentioned where a marvin harrison jr falls in the draft Mm -hmm. the rankings are just not accurate to me like i Mm -hmm. right now if you go on pff and do a mock draft simulator cooper DeGene is going as the cb1 in the top 10 sometimes in the top eight every single time Mm -hmm. now we just went off about not speaking in uh you know affirmative and and absolute it could happen i have an absolute cooper is not going to be the first (laughs) cornerback taken I'm, I'm writing fine. it down and writing it down and, and ruining uh, your it, career if it happens. Gene will not be the first cornerback. I'm going to sink draft, you and he will not media go in the top happens. 10. Sam says no. If this clip I'm comes Cooper out Jean. in late April, Cooper, I didn't mean it, brother. Hey, welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> no, you, cl- you clearly have made it clear. You welcome to Tennessee, man. Uh, yeah, 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 100%. It's, but <laughs> it, it's just right now, if you were to look at a consensus Big board, if you were to look at even experts, big boards, and those who are incredibly informed on the draft or ex- exceptionally plugged into front offices, Cooper DeGene is not somebody who is the cornerback one in the eyes of many people right now. And so mm-hmm. I look at it and it's like you're operating under the the assumption that this is actually how this player is perceived or going to go in the draft. And that, as we've talked at length about, like it just – it. This is actually the equivalent of because I'm a baseball nerd more than I even am a football nerd by right. by a lot. MLB has this like trade value simulator that okay. baseball fans <laughs> love to cook up where they're like, I love, I love what you say. Yep. Is it horrible? It's so well, bad. It's, it, it just it fails to account for 
contract values and age and injury and certain things. It's more about a player's actual production. And so uh, they, the prospect values end up being wrong. And it's like, right now I could trade a mid-level prospect on the Baltimore Orioles for Mike Trout because Mike Trout's Mm. contract is so Mm -hmm. large that the simulator says no, no team actually wants to trade for Mike Trout. And in reality, you look at it and go, no, I bet you that's a deal that, you know, would the angels would be the one declining. Right. And so people use it as gospel. Like you said about like, uh, actually this guy's value is actually equivalent to this prospect, this prospect and this prospect. I think crotchety um, old GMs, like they use one of these simulators one time and then that's how they form their opinion on analytics equals bad. When they think analytics yeah. sucks, this is what they have in mind. Yeah. And so, yeah, these these mock draft simulators right now are You're not in. infuriating to me because I think everything about them is wrong from the rankings to the unpredictability to the uh, the trade compensation, like you right. just said, and we all know that there's going to be multiple trades within the first round on draft day that nobody can foresee. Uh, and the team that you're attempting to mock for may or may not do it. Uh, I've seen somebody who used the bears position last year where they were the number one pick and had another first round pick and just kept trading back until they had like 18 first round picks because right. you can manipulate PFF to do that if you so yes. choose. Uh, and so that kind of explains why this should not be used. I think if you're going to create a mock draft, you should do your, like you said, your own research, look at a consensus big board, get a feeling for where the perception is of certain grades of players, and then have an understanding of he may be gone. He may not be, but this could be a good fit for this team. If he's still on the board at this spot. Well, you know, it's kind of, I just realized it's kind of poetic in the sense that, you know, a a big part of the reason why the, the, the simulator might not be the greatest right now is because it's actually it's February 15th. We don't like, we don't know a whole lot. They don't know a whole lot. The landscape of the draft is still very much unveiling itself. And I'd imagine if you're going to log in and do a mock draft on April 15th, it might be a little bit more realistic as to what is going to happen. Um, okay. That is our dummies guide to the NFL offseason. That was as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Sam, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for giving us so much of your time and being a part of this. Um, before we get out of here, tell the people where they can find you, what, what you're doing, all the things. Yeah, man. A to Z sports, uh, a to Z sports.com for the written content coming out with, uh, articles and, and everything imaginable because it's the off season. Off season and, baby. Uh, <laughs> so it's everything imaginable at this point, yeah. uh, with all the Titans content to stay updated on the news, what players are doing off the field, uh, all of that stuff on the website. Uh, my, my own show Titans at two at 2 PM twice a week, uh, for A to Z sports, as well as the A to Z sports morning show. I'm on there Wednesday and Fridays, so I'll be there tomorrow morning. Uh, but it's good five days a week. Uh, so if you need to start your morning with Titans content, it's a live show, very interactive, similar to this one, uh, and talking about all the, the fresh topics. And I, I'm not afraid to put you in your place. If you're going to come on the show mm. and you're going to comment about how, uh, you know, you like, I, I'm firing hot. I'm logging in tomorrow and I'm going to just, I'm going to spew D- Cooper DeGene propaganda at you. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a JJ McCarthy t- outside the first round will be <laughs> yeah. entered in the chat. Tomorrow. I'm a hot take guy. I will. I frequently probably two to three times a show call a timeout. Uh-huh to oh. single out a chat that was just made that I have to like <laughs> make fun of at their expense. So Gotta maybe hold them that's, accountable. Maybe Gotta that's bad of me, but yeah, I, I'm big on accountability. No, so, I think accountability is important. 
yeah, yeah. check out the shows, uh, check out the written content as well. I'm trying to stay busy and I'll be down in Indy for the combine. I'll be, I'll be oh, really? as much as I can. We'll see you there, man. Season, so yeah, man. Awesome. All right. Well, Hey, you can check all that out on YouTube and you can of course check this show out on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to both A to Z sports Nashville on YouTube and Broadway sports media on YouTube. We want to get those subscriber counts up as much as possible, of course. And it is in fact free to you all to hit that subscribe button. And it's very helpful to us. So we appreciate you guys supporting local Nashville media. Sam, it's been a pleasure. JT, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back on Tuesday next week uh doing stuff leading up to the combine which is not next week but the next week so the off season is coming at us hot and heavy until then for producer jt and our guest sam i'm your host easton freeze this has been the hot Podcast.